0: Chapter 2 of Heroes of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Heroes of the Middle Ages by Eva M. Tappan. Chapter 2 Attila the Hun is Defeated at Chalons. While Alaric was winning his victories, The Huns had built on the banks of the Danube what they looked upon as their capital. The homes of the poorer folk were huts of mud or straw, but the king Attila and his chief men lived in houses of wood, with columns finely carved and polished. There was plenty of some kinds of luxury in this strange capital, for the tables of the chiefs were loaded with golden dishes, and swords, shoes, and even the trappings of the horses— Gleamed with gold and sparkled with jewels. King Attila, however, would have no such elegance. I live as did my ancestors, he declared, and in his wooden palace he wore only the plainest of clothes. He ate nothing but flesh, and he was served from rough wooden bowls and plates. Nevertheless, he was proud of his wealth, because it had been taken from enemies, and so was a proof of the bravery and daring of his people. This king of a barbarous tribe meant to become the greatest of conquerors. Even in the early years of his reign he had hoped to do this. It is said that one of his shepherds noticed one day that the foot of an ox was wet with blood. He searched for the cause and discovered a sharp point of steel sticking up from the ground. He began to dig around it, and so saw that it was a sword. That must go to the king, he said to himself and he set out for the palace. King Attila examined the weapon closely and declared, This is the sword of Tyr. I will wear it as long as I live, for no one who wears the sword of the war-god can ever know defeat. When Attila had made his preparations, he set out with his followers to conquer the world. Before long Constantinople was in his power. The emperor in the East called himself the Invincible Augustus, But he could not meet Attila, and to save his city and his life he had to give the barbarians six thousand pounds of gold and a large tract of land on the Roman side of the Danube. Wherever Attila went he was successful. His ferocious warriors rode like the wind. They would dash down upon some village, kill the inhabitants, snatch up whatever there was of booty, and level the homes of the people so completely that it was said a horse could gallop over the ruins without danger of tumbling. In the Far East he was thought to be a magician. The Huns have a wonderstone, declared the folk of that region, and whenever they choose they can raise storms of wind or rain. It is no wonder that men trembled at the sound of Attila's name and shuddered at the thought of the Scores of God, as he called himself, when they heard any strange sound in the night. Attila and his Huns are the children of demons, they whispered, and those who had seen them were ready to believe that this was true. They were of a different family from the Goths and Celts and Romans. They were short and thick-set, with big heads and dark swarthy complexions. Their eyes were small and bright, and so deep-set that they seemed to be far back in their skulls. Their turned-up noses were so short and broad that it was commonly said they had no noses, but only two holes in their faces. Although Attila had made peace with the emperor in the east, before long he found an excuse for invading his empire. With the sword of Tyr in his hand, he swept across what is now Germany and France, killing and burning wherever he went. When he came to Orleans, he expected the city to yield as the others had done, but the people had just made their fortifications stronger, and they had no idea of surrendering even to the terrible Huns. But before long Attila had got possession of the suburbs, he had weakened the walls with his battering rams, and the people of Orleans began to tremble with fear. Those who could not bear arms were at the altars praying and their bishop was trying to encourage them by declaring that God would never abandon those who put their trust in him. Go to the rampart, he bade a faithful attendant, and tell me if aid is not at hand. What did you see? he asked when the messenger returned. Nothing was the reply. A little later the man was sent again, but he had nothing of comfort to report. A third time he climbed the rampart, and now he ran back to Bishop, crying. A cloud! There's a cloud on the horizon, as if made by an army marching. It is the aid of God! The Bishop exclaimed. It is the aid of God! repeated the people, and they fought with fresh courage. The cloud grew larger and larger. Now and then there was a flush of steel or the gleam of war banner. The Bishop was right. It was the brave Roman general Aetius with his army, and Orléans was saved. Attila withdrew to the plain of Chalons. The Romans and their former foes, the Goths, had united against him, and on this plain was fought one of the most bloody battles ever known. It raged from the middle of the afternoon until night, and some of the people of the country believed that in the darkness the spirits of those who had fallen arose and kept up the fight in mid-air attila retreated across the rhine if he had won the day the heathen huns instead of the christian germans would have become the most powerful people of europe that is why this conflict at Chalons is counted as one of the decisive battles of the world after a winter's rest attila started to invade italy he meant to go straight to rome but the strong city of Aquileia was in his way. After a long siege, however, it yielded. Some of the inhabitants of that and other conquered cities fled to a group of marshy islands where Venice now stands. City after city he captured and burned. But this wild hun was not without a sense of humor. While he was strolling through the royal palace in Milan, he came across a picture showing Roman emperors on their thrones with Scythian chiefs kneeling before them and paying them tribute of bags of gold. Attila did not draw the sword of Tyr and cut the picture to fragments. He simply sent for painter and said, Put those kneeling men upon the thrones, and paint the emperors kneeling to pay tribute. The Romans were thoroughly frightened, for now Attila was near their city. Aetius was calm and brave, but he was without troops, Then Pope Leo I, courageous as the Bishop of Orleans, went forth to meet the Huns, and begged Attila to spare the city. Attila yielded, but no one knows why. A legend arose that the apostles Peter and Paul appeared to him, and declared that he should die at once, if he did not grant the prayers of Leo. It is certain that before he started for Rome, his friends had said to him, Beware, Remember that Alaric conquered Rome and died. He had no fear of the sword, but he may have been afraid of such warnings as this. Whatever was the reason, he agreed to spare Rome if the Romans would pay him a large ransom. The gold was paid, and Attila returned to his wooden palace on the Danube. Soon after this he suddenly died. His followers cut off their hair and gashed their faces, so that blood rather than tears might flow for him. His body was enclosed in three coffins, one of gold, one of silver, and one of iron. It was buried at night with a vast amount of treasure. Then, as in the case of Alaric, the captives who had dug the grave were put to death. His followers belonged to different races. Several chieftains tried to become king, but no one of them was strong enough to hold the tribes together. And they were soon scattered, and the power of the Huns declined for End of the chapter 2